think philanthropy has both the opportunity and the responsibility to say, step back and what would you try if you had the opportunity to try something different that, that might or might not, you know, make a change. And if it doesn't, then we'll try something different next time, right? But to experiment a little bit. Coming to you from the studios at Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. It's the annual fall fun drive here at Arlington Independent Media, so perhaps it's natural that my thoughts should turn to philanthropy and charitable giving. I'll just make a plug. If we add value to your day, if you like the kind of programming you hear on WERA, if you like Choose to be Curious, I hope you will choose to support us by making a donation to AIM. Visit us at WERA.FM to make your tax-deductible contribution and help keep fresh, fun, independent community media coming your way every day. That's WERA.FM to donate. Thank you. According to Giving USA, an annual report on philanthropy, Americans gave a staggering $410 billion in 2017, the last year for which statistics seem to be available. That's a lot of generosity to what we hope are worthy causes. Giving by individuals represented 70% of that total. And according to the Foundation Center, giving from foundations has an increase in average of over 7% in recent years, ahead of even the individual giving growth. So lots of money is moving around, but it doesn't just land in open hands, and it doesn't just materialize out of thin air. I started to think about how decisions get made in philanthropy, who decides what does get supported, how we know what's needed or what works, how to know we're not throwing good money after bad. And of course, my thinking goes to curiosity. How does or might curiosity shape philanthropy? This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but Mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. So I wondered, is anyone thinking about how curiosity shows up in charitable giving? The answer is a resounding yes. In fact, the Education Advisory Board, a Washington, D.C.-based company, analyzed the donations brought in by 1,217 major gift officers at 89 colleges and universities in the United States and Great Britain and found the top performers possess key traits, including behavioral and linguistic flexibility, intellectual and social curiosity, the skill to distill information, and the ability to approach the solicitation process in a strategic manner. They called them curious chameleons. Curious chameleons represent not even 4% of the surveyed gift officers, but the top 1% of those major gift officers accounted for more than 70% of all gifts. So curious chameleons deliver. And on the other side of the equation, among those who give, most especially among foundations, people are paying a lot of attention to everything from figuring out unrecognized community needs to fashioning reliable assessment of the return on their investments. So I thought it might be a topic worth investing some time on. I'm delighted to have Sonia Quinones here with me to talk about it. Sonia is Northern Virginia Program Director for the Eugene and Agnes E. Meyer Foundation. The Meyer Foundation pursues and invests in solutions that build an equitable greater Washington community in which economically disadvantaged people thrive. The foundation envisions a just, connected, and inclusive greater Washington community 
in which systemic racism and its consequences no longer exist. So a great mission and a substantial contributor in the DMV. In fact, in August of this year, they awarded $3.6 million in general grant making and capacity building. And for nearly three decades, Sonia has worked in community-based nonprofit organizations in the areas of social justice, family sustainability, and youth development. She's built a well-deserved reputation for designing, implementing, and evaluating community solutions in partnership with those communities. It's really an honor to have you with me, Sonia. Welcome. Thank you. It's an honor to join you. So I knew I had made the right choice when I found on the Meyer Foundation website a poster for Meyer in the community where you were going out and just making yourself for available for coffee somewhere in Fairfax. Tell me about that. I do that once a month. Do you? Um, and I, I rotate communities because mm-hmm. our northern Virginia region has eight different localities or jurisdictions, the three big counties and five um, cities. And it's it's hard to keep tabs on sort of what solutions and trends and changing needs are bubbling up within the community. And Meyer's committed to being led by our constituents, led by the people who have been most affected by inequities, mm-hmm. which is a, a very value-oriented commitment, but hard to implement when mm-hmm. you're sitting in your office and, right. and just reading proposals that happen to come in from grant writers. So that's a an opportunity to, to try to just listen and keep tabs on what folks are talking about and what solutions are bubbling up and what challenges are coming that we thought was a well-intentioned strategy and maybe is having a different impact than than we expected, which is... That's a big one, isn't it, right? Because we all think that our good intentions, we kind of run with our good intentions, but your job is to make sure that those good intentions are having good impact. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's funny, I after you invited me here, one of the things that I happened to read was distinguishing charity as an emotional response in the face Uh of need from philanthropy, which is strategic problem solving around Uh community needs. And I thought that lent itself really well to this conversation because part of what we are doing is being curious about what solutions will really change some of the legacies of inequities that we have in our community. And sometimes we think we've found a solution and we lean in on that strategy and and invest in community partners who are working in that. And then sometimes the results of that are not what we expected. And that's part of risk taking. It's part of the journey of problem solving. So let's back up for a minute and talk a little bit more about the kinds of stuff that Meyer Foundation is doing in that vein, because I think it's helpful for people to have that context. Also, I want to give the foundation a shout out here. And I think it it helps us understand because inequity is one of those places where coming with curiosity strikes me as particularly important. Absolutely. And I'll tell you very briefly, um, sort of the, the foundation's been on a journey of our own. It's been around for almost 75 years, but for a long time made grants to community-based organizations in the D.C. metropolitan area that were delivering services to those who who were suffering in our community, who faced you know, insufficient incomes or health challenges or children in out-of-school time programs and youth development. And we got a new leader a couple of years ago who, as part of her coming on board, went around uh, and did listening sessions, being Mm -hmm. curious about 
Meyer's role in the community, what community needs were, how we could have the greatest impact. And a lot of what she heard was, we can't program our way out of the problems in our community. Mm. The divide between the haves and the have-nots in the greater D.C. area is growing, not shrinking. And we're not a fundraising organization, so our budget is not growing at that same pace. And if we really wanted to have an impact on those inequities in our region, we needed to shift the way we were funding. And instead of funding responses to those immediate needs, begin to look at investments that could attack the root causes. So you're going upstream. Exactly. Right. There's that vision of do you keep taking the babies out of the water uh, Mm -hmm. who are, you know, in the river or do you go upstream and figure out why babies are getting in the water? Right. 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 Which is a an an easier commitment to make than to operationalize. Like to figure out what that actually means and what that looks like requires curiosity, requires sort of exploring what are some strategies that help us attack these long time inequities that are baked Mm -hmm. into our systems. Mm So what's interesting to me about that is the framing of curiosity as a strategy, as a strategic choice, which sort of I like because this whole idea of choosing to be curious means that it's a strategic move. We can do all sorts of things in the face of things we don't understand, in the face of things that concern us. You all have chosen to be curious as one strategy for sort of getting at that. Can you give us some examples of sort of where that strategy has paid off. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I was thinking of actually, as you started that question, strategies where we've had to pivot because of Ah, what we learned. Um, So for example, there's a move to really think about internships in this country Mm -hmm. and the way that internships give young people exposure to, you know, the workplace and to job opportunities and to a network of people who eventually can help them professionally advance. And yet unpaid internships are really a luxury that families of wealth can support their young person in taking an unpaid internship because because we as a family can provide resources for that young person's sustainability during that time. And and young people who come out of very low income families don't have that that luxury, luxury. right? They may have to work at McDonald's if that's what they have to do in order to meet their needs, and they're not getting that same opportunity. So there was a move to say, okay, we are going to only commit to, you know, organizations that are paying for interns. Mm. Internships are, are a good strategy, but but everyone should pay for internships. Well, then in talking and listening about how that was playing out, one of our grantee partners said to us, yeah, but that's creating inequities because some of my young people don't have legal status. They're not able to work. And so you're causing us to discriminate, right? And so that was something we hadn't, you know, we were trying to do the right thing or trying to be intentional about shifting inequities. And yet we were creating a new one, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, back to that unintended consequences. So are there systemic disincentives to curiosity in philanthropy or elsewhere? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, most foundations are run by a board of directors. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, that board is recruited because they understand finance and investing and how to sort of maximize the long-term health of the foundation's investments Uh so that you can continue to make grant making. That also means you tend to recruit people to your board who have a little bit more conservative approach to taking risk, right? Uh, sure. or, and or they're in, you know, really protective of the reputation of the foundation. And mm-hmm. so 
you know, as we talked about, we don't know how to disrupt some of these inequities that have been baked into our system over centuries. Um, And so some of disrupting that is going to mean taking some risks, trying some things that may not turn out. That can be hard for boards to to wrap their arms around, right? And I think curiosity and risk-taking go hand in hand a little bit. I think they do. So what do you do about that? How do you work with your board to build their comfort with that? Yeah. So in Meyer's case, we've done several things. One is that we've really invested time and energy and thought into some training for our board Mm -hmm. about what social movements are and what they've achieved and what it takes to shift society. help do some training for them uh, around racism and structural racism and how that's baked into our systems and the disparities and differential yeah. impact of, yeah. of some of our services that, again, were well-intentioned sometimes, but we're creating or, or exacerbating inequities um, in our community. The other thing we've done is really be intentional about recruiting some board members who have very different life experiences, who come from the communities that have been most affected by some of these yeah. inequities, um, who have, who either are currently or have run nonprofit organizations in the community and, and lend a different perspective. And that can create, you know, more difference of opinion in a board. And you've got to be able to deal with difference of opinion. But Well, there's a a lot of research that suggests that the best decision-making, the best teams are teams that have that diversity of thinking, that that's where the innovation comes from, that's where the – I mean, it is where you sort of make the decision to risk something there that maybe doesn't make everybody comfortable. That's really interesting. I I read something – I can't attribute it, unfortunately – but about – again, curiosity and philanthropy. And they wrote, curiosity presumes that there might be something new out there. Curiosity presumes that there might be something outside our own experience out there. And that's what you're talking about, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And bringing those experiences into the decision-making setting. That's right. And I think philanthropy has a responsibility to invest in innovation. You know, Mm -hmm. um, having also run a nonprofit organization, when you're running a nonprofit organization, and you've got to constantly be fundraising Mm -hmm. and and maintaining your reputation with the the government structures that you may have contracts with and the donors that you have um, relationships with and the volunteers that you're trying to recruit, there's uh, there's a danger of, of risk as well and, a, and a, uh, a real responsibility to manage risk at that level. And so I think sometimes philanthropy can give organizations some bandwidth to experiment, uh, right, to yeah. try something new and not be quite as tied to committing to its coming out right, right. Um, at the end, as you might be with, you know, if you get a government contract, you're you're committing to some deliverables. You're going to serve this number of people and you're going to help them make this amount of change in their life, right? But I think philanthropy has both the opportunity and the responsibility to say, step back and what would you try if you had the opportunity to try something different that, that might or might not you know, make a change. And if it doesn't, then we'll try something different next time, right? But to experiment a little bit. Nice. So that has me kind of going in two directions, because I want to get to this question of assessment and evaluation, because I think that's the other place where curiosity comes in. But before we go there, are you familiar with Jim Ryan's book, Wait, What? He was he was president, he was a dean of the Harvard School of Education, and he is now president at UVA. 
and he gave a graduation speech at the ed school, which turned into a kind of a social media favorite. It was YouTube, and it's a little book. And But he has sort of five questions that he poses that he thinks will sort of guide you through life. And the title of the book and the first of the questions is, wait, what? And then he goes on. It's, you know, I wonder why. Couldn't we at least? How can I help? And then what truly matters? But I was thinking just as you were talking about this, wait, what question? Because to me, that suggests that people are getting exposed to information they didn't expect to come through the door. You know, it's like, wait, what did you just say? And then and then pivoting or or kind of reframing what they're doing or diving into some of these other questions. So that element of surprise is actually pretty important in that decision-making process, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite roles uh, in this position is getting to be a thought partner with the nonprofit leaders and folks uh. on the ground and and give them that opportunity. One of my mentors used to call it balcony time, right? To, to get up on the balcony uh-huh. out of the hamster wheel that you've been running on trying to keep everything uh-huh. going and and sort of look at things from a little bit higher up and think, Wait, is there is there a different way to do this? And what would that look like? And what could we accomplish if we tried it different? Yeah, yeah. And then sort of on the back end of all of this, sort of looking at the, well, how did we do? And I, uh, some time ago, I interviewed Carlisle Levine, who does evaluation and assessment. And she laughed. She said, oh, the best question ever is anything else. Because that's always the place where you get the thing that isn't caught in the evaluation instrument that you thought was the perfect evaluation instrument. So tell me how curiosity shows up in assessment for you all. Yeah. So we're looking at our learning and evaluation Mm -hmm. um, sort of system right now. And and one of the things we talk about is, you know, the, the most valuable part of the evaluation at the end of a grant is it's not even so much what was accomplished or what the results were, even though that's important because you want to make sure you're spending your money in a, in a helpful way and measuring your impact. But the really valuable part is the what did you learn from it? Right? Yes. What were the lessons learned? Yes. And what would you do differently next time? And and I think philanthropy has a role to help share that because, again, uh, you know, nonprofits, when they're collaborating, they're often collaborating on the what we're going to do next and mm-hmm. what we need to do next as opposed to necessarily sharing some of of what they're learning. And I think that's so critical. I think that's actually a great curiosity practice. You know, a lot of what I do is sort of harvest people's curiosity practices. And you've had a couple here in community meetings and other sorts of things and board training. But the idea of sharing back your learning, that that you can demonstrate the value of the earlier practices by being able to share what you've learned is also a really lovely practice in and of itself. It's kind of a second generation of giving. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really nice way to put it. Absolutely. That's very cool. So before you go, I do want to have you do my big jar of wannabe analogies. Are you game for this? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So the way this works is um, reach in and uh, take a slip of paper. And I'm going to take one as well. I'll take one for the audience. And we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on this slip of paper. And you can go first or you can have me go first, whatever you prefer. Uh, I'll let you go first. Okay. All right. Let me see what I have. 
<laughs> I have tomatoes. <laughs> How is curiosity like a tomato? <laughs> well, I remember as a kid learning that tomatoes are actually a fruit, not a vegetable. And I think curiosity is is like that in that it um, it seems to be one thing and it often is in fact something different um, and and of course when you bite into a tomato it's just juicy and and I think curiosity is the same way you bite into it and it's just juicy especially if it's homegrown uh, especially if it's homegrown Absolutely. so what do you have so I have a great one I have dreaming uh, oh and how I, perfect it is perfect and I think curiosity is very much like dreaming because our dreams often uh, sort of take something we were doing or thinking about during the day, but then spin it off in a whole different uh-huh. um, direction that isn't necessarily tied to reality sometimes, right? Uh-huh. And and I think freeing ourselves from what we believe our assumptions and believe our boundaries and parameters and being curious about what could be yeah. um, is powerful. It is powerful. Do you think... Philanthropy is dreaming or not? Is it something else? So that's interesting. I don't think of it as dreaming. I I think of philanthropy as strategic, yep. as trying to figure out what what will work, what has the impact, and what can make life better for those for whom society's current structures have not really delivered. All right, it delivers some dreams, maybe, but it is not. It is not a fanciful business, is it? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Sonia, thank you so much for this. This has really been a pleasure. Absolutely. You didn't share the oh listeners one. Oh, see, it's good that I have somebody keeping me honest. Okay. <laughs> okay, audience, forgive me. Um, yours is a toaster oven. How is curiosity like a toaster oven? So uh, let us know. Hashtag analogy, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you are on social media. How is curiosity like a toaster oven? Well, thank you, Sonia, for keeping me honest. Thanks for letting me join you. been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great programs here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM, where, by the way, you can also make a donation to support AIM. You know, sometimes we take for granted the very things that make our community so special. Having an organization that opens its doors to train anyone who desires to make their own media and then has the distribution channels, literal TV channels, a radio station, and web presence to bring that creativity to the world. Well, it's easy to lose sight how lucky we are. So take a moment, if you would, reflect on that good fortune and make a contribution of whatever size to support this good work. Visit us at WERA.FM. No donation is too small or too large, and all are deeply appreciated. AIM is a remarkable creative community. Come be a part of it. That's WERA.FM. Thank you. If you like what you're hearing on Choose to be Curious, check out all the previous shows. This is episode number 91. I'm on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to be Curious, and on my website at choosetobecurious.com. 
I hope you'll follow me there and on Twitter at choose number two, letter B, curious. Don't forget to send us your toaster oven analogy, hashtag analogy. Special thanks to my guest, Sonia Quinones. Links to the Meyer Foundation on my website, as well as Jim Ryan's book. Wait, what? Thanks, too, to Sean Ballack for our theme and other music. I hope you'll join me again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. Okay, here's a funny little Easter egg for you. Um, after our show recorded, Sonia and I kept talking, and as I was editing, I came across this clip from our conversation, and it's just right for the fun drive. I mean, one of the things that is one of the things that I have discovered in being here that I have found really exciting about it is what a diverse creative community it is. I mean, across the lifespan, across life experiences, you name it, it comes through the door here. And and it finds a way to tell its story, whether it's on the radio, you know, independent podcast, through television or video production. And and that's to me that's really important. I mean, one, it's really cool. It's just cool to be part of that community. But as a as a reason to keep AIM going, it's really important because it is that way of sharing these stories that would not otherwise be shared and providing a platform so that not only are they shared, but they're heard. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, Community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter.